Psalm 23 in verse 5 reads, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David reflects upon his experience as a shepherd, preparing the tablelands for his sheep. The tablelands are the relatively flat green plateaus to which the shepherd leads his flock for summer grazing. Think of the tablelands as the shepherd's food pantry from which he feeds his sheep. Shepherds exert much energy and careful planning in preparing the tablelands for summer grazing. They meticulously clear the pasture of poisonous plants that might have grown up in the off-season and now threaten the sheep with their toxicity. Some green leaves are the sheep's enemies. Aren't you glad that your good shepherd cares enough to serve you a delicious meal while protecting you from your enemies? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's Psalm 23, 5. And this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. My name is Brian. Thanks for stopping by. Well, King David had his fair share of enemies. And if you're a believer in Christ, so will you. But as you'll see today, your real enemy might not be who you think it is. Stay with us now as Ron continues his teaching series, Psalm 23 and Me, Living the Good Life with the Good Shepherd or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now with part two of his message, Table Preparations. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Now the Bible, the Gospels record 38 of Jesus' stories. He was a great storyteller, his parables. And, and you might expect there's, there's some meals and food represented. Luke chapter 14 records the parable of the great banquet. Of course, uh, he's preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Uh, the parable tells us that those that received an invitation to a great banquet all alike began to make excuses as to why they could not come. And upon hearing their excuses, the master of the house became angry. And he said, do you remember this? Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the cities and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. And this was a poke in the eye and a jab in the chest to the nation of Israel that would reject the invitation of their Messiah. And when they did, the Lord said, go out there and bring the Gentiles in too. And that's why we're here today. Now, the most obvious tableland Jesus prepared for us is the Lord's Supper. And this is that week of the month that we go to the Lord's table in just a few moments. But the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. Communion remembers the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. On our eternal behalf, uh, our good shepherd and our savior died and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death in the presence of his enemies and ours. In the hours before his arrest and trial and crucifixion, you remember Jesus spent some time in the garden of Gethsemane and experienced the depths of human agony. It reminds me of shepherds who prepare a table land for their sheep and often do so at great personal sacrifice. 
They experience loneliness and personal deprivation. It's hard work out there on the summer highlands preparing the table from which he will feed his sheep. Uh, There's still more to the tablelands our good shepherd is preparing for us. Now let's race all the way to the end of the Bible and the New Testament to the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven first century churches located along the western coast of modern day Turkey. And the last letter that he wrote was to the church at Laodicea. Do you remember the distinguishing characteristic of the church at Laodicea? It's known as the lukewarm church. I had to travel to that part of the world to really understand the geographical reference there because nearby is Colossae and then nearby to Colossae and Laodicea is a town called Hierapolis. Hierapolis is kind of the hot springs. Colossae is where Laodicea got their cold water. Hierapolis is where the warm water came uh, to um, Laodicea. And by the time it arrived, uh, it was lukewarm. Everybody knew that. And Jesus used that geographic reference to, um, to tell the church at Laodicea what their spiritual condition was. You're a lukewarm church. You're neither hot nor cold. Makes me want to spit you out of your mouth or out of his mouth. And it was to the church at Laodicea that in spite of their lukewarmness, Jesus sent an invitation to them for a fellowship meal. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 might sound familiar to some of you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, a lot of times we hear this verse in an evangelistic setting and, you know, we we picture Jesus standing at the door of your heart knocking to come in, you know, for the first time and be your savior and all that. And although there's warm sentiment in that, that's not the context of Revelation 3 and verse 20. This is a church made up of people who knew the Lord, but they had become tepid, lukewarm in their relationship to him. And um, how sad is the picture of Jesus standing outside his church and knocking on the door to request entrance. Some say that these seven letters are uh, also uh, portrayals of seven stages in church history, the Laodicean church being the last letter and the condition of the church of Jesus Christ just before his second coming. And if you believe his second coming is near, we are the church of Laodicea. And may it never be true of us that we kicked Jesus out of the church for which he shed his blood as the lukewarm church of Laodicea apparently did. No, he invites us into an intimate fellowship meal with him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. There's nothing more intimate than if you were to invite me and my wife over to your home for dinner, to sit down in in your personal dining room and have a meal and have conversation. That's a very intimate thing to do. It was, you know, thousands of years ago in the biblical uh, context, and it still is today. 
We go further into the book of Revelation and there are two more tablelands that appear that Jesus is preparing for us. One of them completes a circle from Genesis all the way to the end of the age. But let's start with the second to the last one. Following the prophecy of the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ recorded in Revelation chapter 19, John writes this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You ever heard about that? The marriage supper of the Lamb? It's wedding language. Makes me think of some uh, wonderful weddings that Catherine and I have attended. I'm talking about, uh, you know, those kinds of weddings where you go, wow, this, uh, uh, this, this father of the bride really broke the bank on this one. And, and you go to the, you know, the, the wedding reception and maybe it's a sit-down meal. Maybe you went to the reception the night before, another meal. And, you know, there's nothing like celebrating uh, the union of two people who love each other around a meal, right? Well, there's, there's, there's powerful wedding imagery all throughout the Bible that relates to our relationship with God. Remember this, God created marriage all the way back in Genesis. And he didn't create marriage primarily to make you happy, but to make you holy and to also give us a gospel picture. That's why you don't mess with marriage. That's why you work hard to keep your marriage together. Because there's a lot at stake there. And in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're not invited as guests of the bride and the groom. No, the church is the bride. We're the bride of Christ. And we're invited into this new heaven and this new earth and this, this eternal marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh my. The intimacy we will experience with the Almighty as He prepares a table for us, and at that time, there's not an enemy in sight. Because it's heaven. Which brings us to the last of the table lands that God is preparing for us. And it completes the circle. We go to Revelation chapter 22, and the tree of life appears for a second time. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Remember this web address, somethinggoodradio.org. That's the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. When you stop by, check out our digital library where you can search for answers to some of life's toughest questions. Answers Ron has put together during his nearly 30 years of Bible teaching ministry. You can also stream on demand absolutely free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Here's something else for you. Ron would like to bless you with a great resource today, one that goes along with a series that aired earlier this year. It's called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, two beautifully designed editions that cover the Old and New Testaments. And both volumes can be yours today as you invest in the media ministry of something good with a gift of $50 or more. That's volumes one and two of Ron's book, the Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Now let's get back to Ron as he shares the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Table Preparations. 
You know, uh, the flow of the Bible is uh, we start in paradise. By Genesis chapter 3, we're in paradise lost. And then it's not until the end of the age and the end of the book that we're in paradise regained. We go from the tree of life to the tree of life. Only we learn more about the tree of life in Revelation chapter 22. It's a special tree that grows on either side of the crystal river flowing from God's throne in the new heaven. Get this, the tree of life is like a fruit of the month club. It yields a different fruit every month. We've never seen a tree like that. You know, if you live in California and you have an orange tree in your backyard, every month you get what? Some of you weren't quite sure about that. Orange trees yield, yeah, oranges. <laughs> and then there are apple trees. They yield what? They, they, they yield an apple. Lemon trees. Hey, you get to make lemonade out of lemon trees, right? The tree of life, which the book of Revelation says is for the healing of the nations. It's a different fruit every month. Again, our Lord is preparing a table before us. By this time, the enemy is nowhere to be found because heaven is a perfect place. Our good shepherd knows how to prepare a table before us. And he's extending an invitation to you and to me today. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's a seat at his table with your name on it. But you've got to come by faith. And what a, what a meal it is. Now, David doesn't just say he prepares a table for us. I, I wish he stopped right there. But he goes on and he says, in the presence of my enemies. Why, why did he have to say that? Well, we understand the rhetorical imagery and the, uh, the um, toxic plants, poisonous plants he had to get rid of, those enemies of the uh, sheep. Uh, there were also uh, other enemies that sheep faced on the tablelands, uh, shepherds kept a keen eye for predatory animals like wolves and coyotes and cougars and bears who might be lurking by. And all along the way, the Lord is preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Now, I, I kind of make it a practice not to have a meal with um, people who don't like me. Okay, it's, it's, it's just, you know, I may be weird about that. I, I try not to have um, a meal with my enemies anywhere nearby. I try not to have enemies. But, but I, I, in fact, years ago, I didn't think I had any enemies. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my Old Testament professors was waxing eloquently in the Psalms, and he was talking about different categories of Psalms, and he mentioned a category known as the imprecatory Psalms. I call them the God smite my enemies Psalms, because your enemies are my enemies, and my enemies are your enemies, and this is the kind of language that David gets into. The imprecatory Psalms will part your hair and put you back on your heels. You're wondering, can I really pray this way? But David had enemies. Young shepherd boy David, nah, maybe not, although he faced Goliath. Maybe that was the first enemy. Maybe his brothers who you know, didn't speak to him very kindly. They weren't really enemies, but they, they shamed him. But in time, David had his enemies, starting with King Saul, who hurled a spear at him on more than one occasion, trying to pin the young boy against the wall, or worse, even as he was playing his harp to soothe the ill-spirited king. Oh, David had plenty of enemies. I remember saying to my professor, raising my hand rather sheepishly, I don't get the imprecatory psalms, Dr. Chisholm. I can't identify with David. I don't have any enemies. 
<laughs> well, he was an experienced professor, tenured, and he understood the power of the pregnant pause. Yeah, he just let it linger there for a while. And then he broke the silence by saying, Jones, just go pastor a church for five years and then give me a call. <laughs> oh my, yeah, I've been doing it for 30 years. Not everybody likes the pastor, right? I'm glad you all are here and you, you, you like me somewhat. David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I love the, the time and the effort that a skilled chef takes to prepare the meal. You prepare a table for me. And you do it in the presence of my enemies. Do you have enemies? Do I have enemies? They're not flesh and blood enemies. Ephesians tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world. There's a spiritual battle going on. The real enemy and the persistent enemy for the believer in Jesus Christ, for the sheep of his pasture, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you haven't figured that out, you need to stop pointing at this person or that person and understand the spiritual reality behind it. He's preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemy, and he is a relentless enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. For the sheep, they had to worry about coyotes and bears and leopards and cheetahs. We have a, an enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking someone to devour. His name is Satan. He is the devil. But we have a good shepherd who prepared a table before us in the presence of our adversary. Even before he went to the cross. And I'm talking about that time at the beginning of his ministry where he, led by the Spirit, went out into the wilderness for 40 days and fasted. Didn't eat a meal. Fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says at the end of that time, the devil came. The devil probably thought he was weaker. Maybe he was physically but he was stronger spiritually. Have you figured that out about the most neglected spiritual discipline in the 21st century? Fasting I'm talking about. That fasting is a way to spiritual breakthrough and to strengthen your resolve as you face the enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus was stronger, not weaker. But the devil tried to entice him with food. Do you remember? He said, hey, Jesus... <laughs> Why don't you worship me and, and, and turn these uh, rocks into, into bread? And, and then there was another temptation and another. And in that way, Jesus prepared for us a table. He went before us, fought our enemy, eventually defeated him on the cross. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2 and verse 18, because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In chapter 4 and verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Why? Because he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He's gone before us. He's been back in the kitchen preparing this meal for a long time. And the presentation of it is stunning. It's stunning. He's a master chef who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And then he invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. He's a good shepherd. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message, Table Preparations. Dr. Ron Jones joins me in the studio. Ron, Psalm 23, verse 5, is one of those verses that sometimes gets overlooked. What stands out is the Lord's preparation of a meal for King David and for all of us who have put our faith in Christ. But what might get lost is that King David is speaking here not only of God's provision, but of God's protection. I'm glad you picked up on that, Brian. You know, the entire chapter, Psalm 23, is really about the Lord's presence, the Lord's protection, the Lord's provision, and in later verses, the Lord's promises. Now, in the first four verses leading up to verse 5, David is telling us that he knows what God is doing for him, and he knows that God will be with him every step of the way, giving him rest and nourishment, confidence, uh, protection, and so on. So here in verse 5, David dials it up a notch. He's, He's not only saying that he, King David, knows that God is preparing a table for him. He is saying that his enemies know it too. Now think about that, Brian. When we say God will protect us, that he'll provide for us, that he's present with us, our enemies don't have to take our word for it. Uh, They're going to see it with their own eyes. This won't be hearsay or secondhand information or empty threats. No, our enemies will witness this in, in real time. In fact, our true adversaries, the devil and the spiritual forces of darkness, have already witnessed it. They witnessed it in the past. Uh, They witness it in the here and now, and they will witness it a great deal in the future. They're going to witness what it looks like for God to have a relationship with his people. And that's what all of this leads to, Brian, relationship. Uh, That's what this is all about. Uh, Everything the Lord does in our lives, even when he disciplines us, is about strengthening the relationship we have with him, uh, making it more beautiful and more intimate. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, and uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he, he, he says, um, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's such a beautiful sentiment, Brian. God is preparing for us a place to live. He's preparing for us a wedding feast. He's preparing a permanent relationship in a place where there is no sin, uh, no obstacles to pure and perfect intimacy in our relationship with him. And the best part of this, Brian, well, this wedding feast and this dwelling place is available to anyone in the world who places his or her faith in Jesus Christ, anyone at all. There's always room for one more seat at the Lord's table. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great thoughts on the intimacy we can and will enjoy with Jesus. Well, as usual, Ron, the clock is winding down. So tell us what's coming our way tomorrow as you continue your teaching series, Psalm 23 and Me, Living the Good Life with the Good Shepherd. 
Yes, and thanks, Brian. The next phrase from Psalm 23 says, you anoint my head with oil. You know, earlier in the series, I talked about the rod and the staff being part of the Good Shepherd's toolbox. Well, this oil David speaks of is part of God's first aid kit. And believe it or not, Brian, shepherds are known to put oil on the head of their sheep for a variety of reasons. So I'll spend a, the next couple of days talking about that and explaining what it means for oil to be part of God's first aid kit. It's just one more way in which the Lord is ever present to protect us and provide for us. And that's where I'm heading next time as we continue my series, Psalm 23 and Me, Living the Good Life with the Good Shepherd. The message is called The Anointing, and Dr. Ron Jones shares it with us next time. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.